Thank you very much. So I am Anna Bishler. I am um, Associate Director within the Medicines Use and Safety Team at the SPS. Um, and I'm joined here with Gavin. Gavin, can I ask you to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. Um, my name is Gavin Mooney. I am the Trust Medication Safety Officer for the London Ambulance Service. Um, I'm an advanced paramedic by background, uh, so spend half my time uh, operational seeing patients. Um, but I've also got a background in pharmaceuticals. I uh, did a couple of degrees in pharmaceuticals back home in Ireland, uh, which is how I've somewhat landed in the job that I'm doing. Fantastic. Thanks, Gavin. And, and we're here really to continue to explore some of the issues that we are looking at regarding uh, time critical medicine safety. Um, and quite specifically, recently we've engaged with our Medication Safety Activist Network at one of our recent MSATs um, webinars. And there was a really useful discussion there looking at time critical medicine safety. And our network highlighted that that point of transfer from community to acute settings, that was potentially quite a high risk scenario. So what I was asking from you is if you can just share from your first hand experience, what do you see um, as those challenges to getting that process as safe as possible? Um, I think first and foremost, the, the challenge is it's a sort of unknown part of our practice in the sense that there's a gap in procedure, there's a gap in requirement, there's a gap in uh, what is expected of people in that process from you know end to end, and particularly from an ambulance service or a pre-hospital perspective. There's limited uh, procedure in place out there or protocol, uh, whatever you want to uh, describe it as, to say you must take uh, X to hospital, you must administer X if it's prescribed at this time by this route. Um, it, in the context of time critical medicines and what we're talking about from a medication safety perspective in, in the wider system and ensuring patients still have timely access to medication, there's quite a gap there because a lot of places don't have something in place. So a lot of trusts don't have something formally in place to address it. It's a it's a hard um, it's a hard process, and um, to standardise. I think um, from where we've spoken before, we've looked at the fact that ambulance trusts, in particular, you work across a number of ICBs, and that really presents these challenges um, to standardisation, uh, in, in particular related to time critical medicines. Um, so, how would you um, think that? So, our medication safety activist network. What kind of things? do they need to look at um, in order to take those first steps towards standardization or is it just about understanding processes um it's a mix it's it's quite a complex uh thing like i said earlier on our pre-discussion pre we'll probably boil it down to keeping it really simple at the end but fundamentally when you dig into it it's quite complex and um, it's a very geographically dynamic risk because as you say there's a lot of ambulance services in the UK that work across multiple ICBs. Um, in London, we're the only pan-London NHS trust. Um, if you go outside of London, the geographical areas that individual ambulance trusts cover is quite, it's quite big. Um, so you're dealing with multiple uh, systems, you're dealing with multiple um, groups of people, you're dealing with multiple disciplinary teams that are replicated across different ICPs and each one will have their own nuance. 
Um, but what an ambulance service might be looking for is something that's uniformly applicable across all of those ICPs. And that can be quite difficult because the, the, you know, we know healthcare, healthcare is geographically nuanced. So putting in place procedures is equally going to be as nuanced and difficult. So I think first and foremost, if I was wanting to solve this uh, gap anywhere, I'd be saying, have the conversation, figure out who you need to speak to. We have got, uh, every ambulance service has an MSO. So we do have a medication safety officer group uh, within the ambulance service. So all of us, uh, all of my counterparts, we get together on a bi-monthly basis, we're in touch pretty frequently, almost on a weekly basis. We're sharing ideas, we're sharing problems, we're, we're sharing risks. Have the conversation, that's, that's your starting point. Understand what the process is from end to end and where some of the gaps are and what the risks are associated with those gaps. It has to be a risk assessed yeah. process. So it, it's having those initial conversations, isn't it? Because you can't take those first steps without having those um, mutual understandings of what happens. And we're also talking about responsibilities, isn't it? Who's who Who is responsible for each part of the process? Um, and I just wanted to come back to something that you, you mentioned earlier in relation to standardisation and making it so hard is you mentioned earlier, it's the clinical situation, isn't it, for each individual patient and understanding it comes back to what is, understanding what is time critical. What, what are the challenges um, for ambulance staff in particular um, about that aspect of the safety, the, the knowing when it is time critical? Um, it, I think it's having it somewhat written down for them. Uh, there's often talk about what's the list, what, what is the list that constitutes time critical medicines. Um, in, in the ambulance world, whether you're a paramedic, advanced paramedic, a technician or an emergency care assistant, oftentimes we like to have things written down and keep it relatively black and white. Although we know healthcare and what we do isn't black and white, there's a lot of gray. There's a lot of nuance, critical thinking and decision-making to be undertaken. Um, I think it does, there needs to be something in writing to prompt the idea and prompt the consideration for what might be time critical. And that might stem back to something as simple as core skill refresher training every year that staff will undertake. For, you know, putting similar to what we had at the MSATS uh, webinar last week, where we had advocates for time critical medicines, those videos being shared with staff, just to give them the, the sense of importance, sense of understanding that, you know, you need to do more than just write down what the medication uh, list for the patient is. You have to you understand a bit more about it. When should they take it? What happens if they don't take it? Uh, when when do they need to take it? And if you don't take it, does that really put you out of kilter? And we saw that in the um, presentations last week where we had the lady talking about having Parkinson's and, you know, it's a very refined regime and anything that disrupts that can have a significant impact. And we do that. We we are not part of someone's normal daily life. We're not a GP appointment in the ambulance service. Um, we come in because something has gone wrong something has disrupted their day and we often get tunnel vision and focus on maybe what that one in present complaint is and we we package the patient up we do our best we treat what we see and then you know depending on what we're finding we'll take them on to 
further care. We might be the only part of that care for we might be the only person involved in that episode of care. But actually, we still disrupted. So if we're there for an hour or two hours with a patient in a period of time, for example, in the case we just discussed where the Parkinson's medication was absolutely time critical in terms of when it was taken. If we're interrupting that process because we're undertaking a patient assessment, actually, that could be you know a very simple uh, oversight could be very detrimental to mm. the patient. Um, and I think it's having that guidance and understanding and appreciation for it. It is, um, and I think what you're touching on is is really upskilling I think um, staff in undertaking that clinical assessment and as you say in this scenario that we're talking about these are very acutely unwell patients so it really there's a lot of variation in their clinical situation their clinical presentation and that leads to the variation in understanding of what is time critical and what is not so I think what you're talking about is very much is about upskilling our staff to recognize that and and, and is it about confidence as well um, and having the confidence yes um, whether it's time critical yeah absolutely and I think uh, confidence amongst uh, ambulance clinicians relating to medicines will vary hugely across the the skill mix it'll vary hugely across the ambulance trusts um i i did a bit of research into this in 2018-19 doing my masters and survey just under 200 uh paramedics around their confidence in drug therapy and what i was trying to glean from some of the data was understanding what sort of background training and education uh, based they had relating to medicines and pharmacology and the wider aspects that come with that. Um, only, uh, only uh, just thinking back on the data, of that cohort that I looked at, 46% of them were vocationally trained, so came into the ambulance service and progressed through to being a paramedic through whatever means. The other 54% had come through university program and direct entry, as it were. Um, and when you looked across the, those two groups, only 56% of them had actually had any dedicated pharmacology training. The rest had actually had it amalgamated somewhere else. And it might have been anatomy and physiology, it might have been patient assessment, it might have been management of specific conditions where they talk about it. So their experience and exposure to understanding at a relatively good depth yeah, pharmacology and you know kinetics and dynamics and what they're looking at in in front of them when they're with a patient is really very the, the actual there is no standardization and what that means is you're going to get variance in people's willingness and confidence and providing medications to a patient that sit with outside their regular the the, the clinician's normal medication format basically yeah. if it's not in their book they they're probably just going to say well wait till you get to hospital or we'll have the conversation with the GP they might not make a decision around that and some might it, it totally depends and that's a really key point going back to what you said earlier what can our medication safety activists do you said you need to find out information you need to uh, understand what is happening in practice at the moment and that's a key step that our medication safety activists can do in in getting that understanding of, of what is the knowledge uh, within the paramedic staff and the confidence um, and seeing if there's any improvements that can be done in relation to that. Um, one thing that you just mentioned there, you were talking about, um, you know, having, I think you touched upon the fact that you need that information to make that informed decision, the clinical assessment. Um, and something um, 
that I think we've we've heard feedback from is that access to what the patient is usually taking and the indication for that as well. Can you talk us a little through um, about how access to health records um, factor into to time critical use and, and is there any challenges there? Lots. Um, I think it'd be fair to say I've been working within the UK system. So I've been working in the uh, London Ambulance Service just coming to 10 years. And in that 10 years, the access to information we have has come on leaps and bounds. So there was a time where we had no digital access to people's medication records um, or their past medical history that you would traditionally see in primary care or within uh, secondary and tertiary care. So we were very much having to put that jigsaw together at the point in time. And it might be we were looking for discharge letters on scene or prescriptions in the patient's own copies of prescriptions or repeat prescriptions or even just looking at the dosage box and you know the, the risk there is the information might not be accurate up to date you know there's lots to talk about in that sense around concordance with medication and everything that you know that comes with that in the context of clinical risk but it's gotten so much better we now have access to summary care record for all of our patients. Um, how that's accessed and the means by which uh, clinicians can access that in the pre-hospital world varies across ambulance trusts. But in principle, we can see it. But again, sometimes that information might not be up to date. It might not even be there. We might be able to find the person on the summary care record because we can search by NHS number, date of birth, all the usual parameters. Well, actually, the information digging into the background might not yeah. be populated if the information is not there then it's not being able to be used um, and, right. and again that's an action isn't it for our medication safety activists is to to dig into that and to find out is the information in the right place at the right time to be used um, I just wanted to quickly touch we've, we've spoken before Gavin myself and you about actually sometimes that information we can glean from the patients themselves um, it's really useful to um, obviously speak to the patient, engage with the patient, um, and we've got associated podcasts actually on that. But there's also an element about the patients having the medication, the actual physical medication with them. Mm. Um, we we have heard of initiatives like the Green Bag Initiative um, that maybe in certain areas it might be called something slightly different in in other areas but can you talk us through how useful that is and is there anything that our medication act safety activists need to be looking at in relation to making sure that we get that medicine with the patient into the acute care setting yeah so the green bag scheme is relatively i was going to say ubiquitous um and known amongst the pharmacy world it's probably not as widely known within the ambulance services at the frontline operational clinician level. Um, and it will differ, as I say, between ambulance services. One that we've looked at this uh, with a couple of uh, our acute trusts, specifically uh, in the last year or so, particularly in the context of winter pressures where we have patients unfortunately you know stacking up in back of ambulances on uh, the ambulance ramp or additionally in the corridor of A&E and it is, as sad as it is that's a reality and actually that presents us a risk and it was we were trying to address that as a risk with time critical medicines and what the green bag scheme might be able to bring to that um, and essentially what we boil it down to was again keeping it simple as mentioned earlier on and it was just a communication 
to all of our staff to say, please consider uh, bringing medication with the patient, bringing a copy of the prescription if it's there, um, talking to the patient and asking, have they been taking medication? Do they have enough? You know, prepare for the worst, plan for the best. You might be in hospital for a night, you might be there for a week, you might be only there for four hours, but you bring enough medication. We don't, in our trust, carry uh, green bags, as in the traditional green bag that you would be familiar with within our organization. But we have got patient property bags, which are barcoded, and we can take pictures of the barcode. We could attach it to the patient record. And within that, we could place medications, and there's a, a section on the bag to list what the medications were. Um, and it's just a case of highlighting, if you're going to bring it, that's how you bring it. Ensure you hand over that. That's where it is when you when you land at the uh, receiving facility. Um, but again, trying to find uniformity with that process will differ across each acute trust because in one area of London we might have queues that could be potentially in the depths of winter pressures last up to four, six, often longer hours, and that won't be too different for our colleagues in trusts across the country. And it's a well, it's a well-known uh, news story, as it were. Um, and in other parts of London, you might hand over and be gone from the patient within 10, 15 minutes. Um, so actually the risks associated, it is a very dynamic risk in terms of that handover process um, and the communication that happens within that. Yep, no, thank you. Um, and uh, I know there are a lot of initiatives uh, countrywide, isn't there? Um, and different initiatives, and like, like we've said, it's that difficulty in getting the uniformity with that. We've spoken about um, uniform practice from care homes, for example, in the locality and how they manage to get those medications into um, the acute sector. And again, it's all it, everything boils down to this having this uh, mutual understanding of what is going on, what the processes are, what the responsibilities are with in relation to the medicines at these points of transfer um, and and with the education and training as well. So I think we've got quite a few um, suggestions that you've made, Gavin, um, of where our medication safety activists would want to gain that understanding in order to take um, the next steps with medication safety um, activists. So um, I hope that kind of ties it up um, and, and probably the key points that we want to get across at this point. Um, so I I think we just need to acknowledge that there will be no one size fits all. Um, we want to look at our processes, our pathways, and I think hopefully in um, our medication safety activists undertaking that, um, that process in themselves, they will be able to find those little pockets of good practice and also the pockets of where things aren't going as smoothly as possible and that will hopefully uh, prompt them into those uh, next steps so thank you I just wanted to thank you very much Gavin that's been really insightful thanks for having me appreciate it absolutely so it just leaves me really to to tie up um to say that a lot of this conversation it's been born out of our um, conversations related to time critical medicine safety which has been part of our medicine safety across the system webinar series that's a quarter quarterly webinar series that we run um, which is looking at um, the difficult medication safety issues that address um, that are across our whole system so some of the hot topics so all I'd like to say is if you haven't yet registered on the SPS website to um, 
to find out about the next topics or what resources that we have there already related to these topics, then please do so. Uh, you can register from the SPS website. So I will close there. Thank you very much again, Gavin. No worries. Thank you.